0: Last time we went through the first two aspects of God's transformation of man. We went through in our pamphlet on God's transformation of man, the unregenerate man, and we also went through the regenerate man. And this is the foundational lesson for, that we want all of the men and really all of the women at Grace Bible Church to understand. That we want people to understand how it is that God saves, what it is that God does in a person's life through the course of their Christian life here on this earth, And then we want them to understand what it is that is awaiting the person uh, when they they pass out of this life and enter into the next stage in the next season. And that is what is all about the heavenly man. So we're going to spend our time on the third side of the pamphlet here today. But we're going to review real quick what we talked about last time. Just as a matter of review, we talked about the unregenerate man. We talked about how that man is in an unmixed condition. And one piece of vocabulary that's going to be important for us to, to keep in front of us today and really throughout the semester or throughout the year is that that the Christian is in a mixed condition that he has God's Holy Spirit in him from the point of regeneration but he also is still living in the same body of flesh that he was born with and those two things are in tension against one another and as a, a believer becomes more and more sanctified the effect and the influence of the Holy Spirit in that person's life grows and grows and grows But we talk about the unregenerate man and how he's in an unmixed sinful condition and he's in that condition from birth and he is set apart from God and the the key passage we used last time was Ephesians 2 verses 1 and 2 where, where Paul writes and he says to the church in Ephesus you were dead in your transgressions and sins you were spiritually dead but it was an active deadness because you walked in those sins and you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so he goes on to say that you were formerly lived in the lust of your flesh and you were indulging the desires of your flesh and your mind. Everything about that person was stapled to spiritual death. There was no, no way for that person to leave that. They loved their condition and they were unable to change it. So we talked about the unregenerate man and the unmixed condition that he was in. It was a sinful con- condition. It was a condition that had no desire for God no pursuit of God, uh, and and most importantly, no fight within himself against sin whatsoever. He was just floating along with the current of who he was in a way that was offensive to God. And then we talked about the regeneration event and the one-time events that were accomplished by God at regeneration. And uh, one of those things we talked about was new birth. And it's in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. After this giant description of how sinful man is, God says, but... God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. So God is the one who makes an unbeliever alive and gives them new life in Christ. So we talked about that regeneration event. That is an essential event that must take place in order for a man to go from being unregenerate to regenerate. He has to be regenerated and God is the one who does that work. And so we talked about the regenerate man himself, that he's in a mixed condition. Once it is that God saves the person, he has lots of really good things about himself. He has a new identity in Christ. He's able to put on display the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And he is no longer a slave to his sin. And that is really, really good news. He is able to actually walk in newness of life. He's able to obey God, but he is still prone to sin. And raise your hand if you know what it's like to be prone to sin after Christ saves you, right? We all know that which means that there's ongoing repentance in the life of a believer. There's a repentance that's a one-time turning away from, from sin as your master, at, and that comes at conversion at salvation. But there is ongoing repentance that takes place for the rest of your life as you turn from sin and its presence in your life. And so the, the key descriptors here is that this guy is in a mixed condition, and he is now able to not sin. And that's really, really important because we are called the holiness of life and God gives us the ability to actually do that. And now there is a fight against sin and a fight to live for Christ, who is our new master. Sin used to be our master and now Christ is our master and there's a fight to, to be pleasing and, and honoring to him. But what's really important here is that residual sin and regeneration are, are evident in all of our faculties, in our thoughts and our words and our, our deeds, our, our affections, We have affections for God, but they are mixed with the affections that are still within us from the day we were born. And hopefully, and what really takes place in the life of a believer is that sanctification is ongoing in their life, and it becomes more and more obvious that they love God the longer they live on this earth after God has saved them. For a person who doesn't know Christ, there's no evidence whatsoever that they love God. And so this person is now able to shepherd his heart away from sin. He's able to look at a sin opportunity and say, by God's grace, I, I don't need to run down that road because sin is not my master. Does he do that every single time? No. And he he grows in his ability to see those things and understand those things, but he's not under God's wrath or judgment and he lives with, with eternity in mind. So this requires that God is going to be on an ongoing basis transforming that person. God is at work. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, we don't lose heart... Even though the outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. So God is renewing the believer, strengthening the believer to make them look more like him. But it also requires the, an action on the part of the believer, and that's his diligent pursuit of holiness. And this is one of the most important things we said last time, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Um, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, but it is up to the believer to actually pursue God. And so the, the author Peter writes, applying all diligence in, you, in your faith, the faith that God gave you, supply moral excellence, live a moral life, supply knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. It is up to us to pursue those things, but we do it by the grace that God has given to us when he saved us. So these things are true about the believer. There's, there's God's work to sustain the person and sanctify them. There's the believer's pursuit of God. There is a wariness of our own indwelling sin. We become more and more aware of sin and our our propensity to sin. And we also know that it's it's our task to persevere in saving faith until the very end. Because that's what believers do. That's how you prove that you actually know the Lord, is to persevere in saving faith until the very end. Hebrews chapter uh, 3, verse 10, I believe, is, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent, to make certain his calling and choosing. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. The believer is the one who by the end of his life is still persevering in saving faith. So that's the unregenerate man, the regeneration event, and the regenerate man. What we're going to do today is we are going to talk about the good news, the, the news that is really, really encouraging, that should really encourage a believer. So fold it over to the third side of your pamphlet, and we're going to talk about the heavenly man. And the situation here, again, is unmixed. But in the way that that the the unregenerate man is unmixed, he's unmixed in his sinful condition. The heavenly man is unmixed in his righteous condition. And this is really good news. He's with Christ. He's in an unmixed, sinless condition. He's made righteous. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. This is one of the most encouraging chapters in all of scripture because it's where Paul goes into great detail with the church in Corinth about what it is that will take place at the end of this life and how it is that a person really is going to live forever. And one of the most important things we need to understand is that in order for the believer to live forever, they have to put off this body and they have to put on a new body. And So we're going to have this idea of perishable and imperishable. And as we're sitting here today, every one of us, unless you're really young, knows that we're wasting away. We're getting older. We're getting more and more fallen down and broken down. And um, we are in a a declining condition here physically. And so this body is not suited for the next age. And uh, we know that we're mortal. We're going to face death. Every one of us knows that at one time or another, death is coming for us unless the Lord comes quickly. So I want to read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57. And as I read this, just look for the contrast between perishable and imperishable, as well as mortal and immortal. Paul writes, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed for this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on imperishable and the mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory.
1: O death, where is your victory?
0: O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is in sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we're going to be looking at the idea of imperishable and what this passage has to say about it. And imperishable, we all, we all know what this is. It means um, it's incapable of being corrupted. We know that by perishable and imperishable goods that you can buy in the store. If something is perishable, it can spoil. And so the the imperishable man in the future is going to be beyond the reach of corrupting sin. And so in verse 52, Paul writes, the dead will be raised imperishable. So what is happening is there is going to be a raising of the dead, and they're going to be raised in a condition that is no longer perishable, but imperishable. He says in the beginning of 53, this perishable must put on the imperishable, And in 54, he says, when this perishable will have put on the imperishable. The idea here is that every single one of us with these bodies are not equipped and not suited for the life in eternity. So there needs to be a transformation that takes place from this body um, that gets put into the ground when we die and the body that we will, into the body that we will possess forever in eternity, that the believer will possess. So there's a condition that... that, um, it's describing a condition that is not and cannot be corrupted or flawed by sin. This is important for us to get. It's important for us to remember that that sin's penalty was removed at the cross of Christ. So the penalty of sin is removed at the cross. The power of sin is removed at the point of regeneration or salvation. Sin is no longer your master. But the presence of sin is, is not removed until Christ's return. So the power of sin, uh, sorry, the penalty of sin is taken care of at the cross. The power of sin is removed at salvation and the presence of sin is removed at Christ's return. And that's important for us to remember. And we're in the condition where sin's power has now been removed um, for the believer um, at the point of regeneration. So that's what this passage has to say about the imperishable, needing to put on the perishable. But it also talks about there is a need for immortality because if you're going to live forever, you need to be beyond the reach of death, not only beyond the reach of sin, but beyond the reach of death. And we see that in verse 54. This mortal must put on immortality. We cannot go into eternity with Christ, with bodies that are declining and subject to death and within the reach of death. Verse 54 tells us farther in the same verse, death is swallowed up in victory. And in verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Death has a power over a person only where sin is present. Uh, But when there's no place for death, when the sin itself is no longer present in the person. So we've got this idea that the person needs to be in an imperishable condition and they need to be in an immortal condition. And that is what is taking place in the heavenly man. And so the unmixed man, the unmixed condition over here, the heavenly man, he's characterized by a number of things. And we want to see what scripture has to say about those, because this is really encouraging to us to think that the condition that we have right now is not the condition that that the believer will possess in eternity. And the first thing is that the believer is going to be at home with the Lord. This is not the final resting place for the believers. This is not our citizenship we're going to be at home with the Lord. Second Corinthians 5.8 We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Heaven is the permanent residence for the Christian. It's where he's at home and where he's at rest. His home is not here. So we need to live with that mindset. And So there's no real, true, final rest here in this earth, in this life. If we're seeking to find our true rest here, we won't find it here. We'll find it in eternity. But this man also, he resembles Christ himself. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Now, there are other belief systems in the world that take this verse to mean that, that a man will become God. And that's not true. Instead, what this is saying is that we're going to become like Christ in the sense that we'll be immortal and that we'll be imperishable. But we will not possess deity, but we will possess immortality and we will possess imperishability. And he'll be seen for what he really is in Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. This is really encouraging. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, that's talking about the return of Christ, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So when Christ enters into this world to set up his kingdom on this earth to rule and reign for a thousand years, believers will be with him. They will be appearing to this world with him and they will be seen as ones who are followers of him because they possess the same immortality and imperishability as Christ himself. And that's a really encouraging thing for believers to think about that should encourage us in our life today is whatever our circumstances are today, whatever they are, whatever trials the Lord has for us, what he has for us for the believer in eternity is to rule and reign on this earth with Christ as he descends to this earth and victoriously takes this earth to be his own. There won't be any death or sadness and and this is encouraging as well. If you've experienced any of that in your own family or with loved ones that are near to you, that's hard. But in the, uh, the heavenly man's condition, he will never experience that. Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. The experience that any person who has lost a loved one knows uh, the grief and the sorrow and the heartache that comes from losing a loved one, uh, that experience will not be present in the eternal kingdom. There won't be any sadness. The Christian's only experience will be to engage with Christ and to experience Christ for who he really is, the good shepherd and the good Lord that he is. There won't be any curse and there won't be any night. Revelation 22 tells us in verse 3 and verse 5, there will no longer be any curse. This world is cursed. We see the effects of it everywhere. You see the effects of it everywhere. Things decline, things decay, we get older. There won't be any of that. Um, there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his bond servants will serve him. And in verse five, there will no longer be any night. There won't be any curse because the occasion for a curse, sin, will no longer be present in the next age. And that's really, really encouraging. So there won't be this, this drag that we experience all the time here. And there won't be any night because the Christian is in the presence of the Lord. And if you read your, your Bibles and you look at the Revelation or any number of other passages, it describes Christ as being radiant and bright. And he's brilliant in his appearance. So there's no need for a son because Christ himself is the light. So those things are really encouraging. One of the things that's most encouraging, though, is the fact that the believer will be blameless and full of joy. Jude 24. Um, I don't have this actually in your notes, but this is something that I think is important for us to read and look. So if you, if you can just jot down Jude 24. Um, this is so encouraging for the believer. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. To stand means you stand confidently in a certain condition. And you're confident because you're blameless, and there's joy in in the fact that there's no blame, there's no barrier, there's no boundary between yourself and Christ. Either spiritually or physically, he's going to be right there. And that is the occasion of greatest, greatest joy. All of our faith will be turned to sight. Our prayers will be turned to praise and we will actually be with Christ. So these are things that describe the, the heavenly man. And these key descriptions are really helpful for us just to review. And all of them are things which are the perfection of what the believer has here today. We're going to be in, the believer is going to be in an unmixed condition. And that's really encouraging because there will no longer be a draw or a propensity or an attraction of sin. We'll be unable to sin and unable to displease God. And so there will be no no fight against sin because it just won't be there for us. We'll be perfectly enslaved to God and will be perfectly righteous in all of our faculties. So all of our thoughts and all of our words and all of our deeds will be be perfectly righteous before God. They won't be tainted in any way the way that they are today. There won't be any need to shepherd your heart because your heart will be in a perfectly sinless condition. All of your affections, all of your desires will be right And so we won't have the task that we do today of of filling our mind with the truth because we need that truth to to counteract everything that's in this fallen, cursed world that that is coming at us from the outside and things that are at work within us, the, the residual flesh that still is in us. So there won't be a need to shepherd our heart and we will be enveloped in God's joy. We'll be full of God's joy and it'll be a joyful experience that has no end to it whatsoever. I really like Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus is telling the parable of the talents and what he says to, to two of the three men who were stewards of, of what was entrusted to the, by the master, what was entrusted to them. In verse 21 and verse 23, he says to these two stewards, to the first one he says, enter into the joy of your master. So the guy who had five talents and made five more, he says, enter into the joy of your master. He was faithful. And then the next guy, the one who was given less, he also, but he also took what was given to him and utilized it. And he lived a fruitful life. And the master says to him, enter into the joy of your master. Both of them are in a joyful condition. it's not this place where you go and you're, you're just free from the fallenness of this world. It's a place that's full of the joy of Christ. So what that is, is that's really, really encouraging. So what we want to do is we want to take a look at what Scripture says about how it is that a man goes from being in the regenerate condition, which you have in the middle of your pamphlet, to the heavenly condition that you have on the right. So if you look at it and you see this gray line that runs down at the top and at the bottom it says death. And there's death, and that is the experience that um, is responsible for transporting the person from being in the regenerate condition to the, holy, the heavenly condition. And so the way that we like to speak of it at this church is that death is departing from the land of the dying into the land of the living, which is sort of backwards from our, our physical experience. We want to say that we're living here and we're not dead, but actually what is taking place is we're departing from the land of those who will die and entering into the land of those who will never die. So leaving the land of the dying and going into the land of the living and so what we want to do is we want to look at what Scripture actually says about death itself. And the believer, when he thinks about death, he should be thinking with joy and with confidence about what will come next. Um, the world doesn't have any reason to be hopeful or any reason to be enthusiastic about the death process. But the believer, the believer has many. And we're going to look at what the Scripture says about it and why it is that the believer can be so thrilled about the prospect of death. What happens first is that there is a disintegration of the inner from the outer. And by integration, we mean things that are brought together. So disintegration is a separation. So what happens at death is that there is a separation of the inner man and his soul from his outer man, which is his body. So his heart, his soul, everything that constitutes who he is morally before God and his physical body, what we see when we shake one another's hands and we look into each other's eyes, those two things are separated at death. And we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 and 8. Verse 1 says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So that building is the eternal body that they have, in the heavens verse 8 we are of good courage I say and we prefer rather to be absent from the body and be home with the Lord here on earth the inner man and the outer man are integrated and they're together but death disintegrates and separates the inner man from the outer man And so the process of death is what accomplishes that the man's soul goes to be with the Lord with Christ upon death But while death continues to separate the two, the soul continues on even though the body is dead. The body is six feet under in the ground, or maybe it's in ashes if a person chooses the route of cremation. But the soul is with Christ. So it's important for us to remember that death is actually the process at which the soul and the spirit become separated from one another. But the second thing that takes place in at the point of death, is that the believer experiences a safe journey, a safe passage to their final destination, which is heaven. And these are Paul's last recorded words. And this is what he writes to Timothy. And you'll look at what he is so confident of when when you see this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. So Paul is writing about his own life here on this earth. And then he says, and he will he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever, ever. Amen. So God is at work in this life, and as surely as we can be confident to say that God rescues us from every evil deed here, we have the same confidence that God will take us safely from this earth into his heavenly kingdom. Paul knows with certainty that death is what will usher him out of this world into God's kingdom and the Christian and the one that's the one who perseveres in saving faith until the end is really called to view death in this way this doesn't mean that we don't have compassion for someone who experiences the loss of a loved one it doesn't mean that we we don't reach out and comfort them and help them we certainly do um, but our comfort and our help and our assistance to them must have as its undergirding the assurance and the confidence and the joy that the one who has trusted Christ with their life is spending eternity with him in heaven. They were brought safely to that place. And so death is kind of the triggering event for the Christian safe passage from this world into fellowship with God. And what's really encouraging about that is that there is a um, a lack of separation from Christ in all of this, that Christ is with the believer in this life, and, they are, and the believer is with Christ in eternity. And we see that in Romans chapter 8. And Paul writes, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor this big long list of things, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, any other created thing, any other created thing, your boss, your opponent, the IRS, whoever it is, they will not be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So whereas death separates the soul of the Christian from his physical body, the soul of the Christian will never be separate from Christ. There's not a single thing in this world. There is not a single entity in this world. There's not a single power that can separate you from Christ that's encouraging because that is the one thing the world cannot take from the believer is their association their bond to Christ it's important to recognize that that the believer is is still alive it's not as if everything comes to an end for that person And, and we look at Jesus' conversation in John 11 with Martha as he explains this to her and Jesus is talking to Martha and she knows her dead brother Lazarus will rise again at the resurrection she knows this She's got her Bible. She's got her Old Testament straight. She knows that the Jews will rise from the ground and they will be with Christ here in the promised land, there in the promised land. So she knows that. But she also knows that on that day, probably AD 30, her brother was dead. And Jesus said to her in John 11:25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So Jesus is referring to Lazarus' soul. The soul of the Christian who has died is alive and well, even though their body is separated from their soul. Again, he says, he who believes in me will live, even if he dies. So there's going to be an ongoing life for that person in their soul. Their soul does not die it's really important for us to understand that when the scriptures describe the process of death for the believer, they describe it in terms of the word sleep often. And this is a really good description because um, sometimes there, there are believers who, who don't really understand that what is taking place is a departure from this world into the next world. And one place where that was particularly true was the church in Thessalonica. Paul meets them on his second missionary journey. He encounters them. And he didn't get the privilege of spending a lot of time with them. He was there with them for a relatively short period of time. Other churches, like the church in Philippi and the church in Ephesus, he spent much more time with. So when you read those epistles, they're a little deeper, they're a little richer. He addresses more issues with them. But the church in Thessalonica didn't have Paul for a terribly long time. So they didn't have a lot of the same teaching. And one way, place where they were really lacking was their understanding of, of what took place at the point of death. And so Paul writes and addresses that in his first letter to them in chapter 4. And he's, uh, he's talking about young believers in the church and they're being persecuted for their faith. And they knew that they had Christ and they, they had new life in Christ and they understood that. Um, but they weren't sure what would take place when they died. And, and Paul has an answer for them and that is that they will continue to exist and they will always have Christ. And so Paul writes in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. He's talking about those who have died, believers who have died. It's not a physical sleep here. He's saying in the same way that a sleeping person continues to exist, but has passed from consciousness into sleep. So the dead saint has passed from this life into the next life. Paul is emphasizing that the inner man continues to exist. In the same way that we exist when we go to bed at night and we're, we're sleeping through the night, hopefully, um, we exist during that time. And in the same way the the believer who passes out of this life continues to exist. And it's important to understand that this person is precious in the sight of God. We see that in Psalm 116, verse 15. And this theology has has rich origin in the Old Testament. This isn't the only place in the Old Testament where this is mentioned, but uh, the psalmist writes, precious in the sight of God is the death of his godly ones. God is eager to take the person that he has given life in this world, out of this world, into fellowship with him. His covenant care for the Old Testament saint was unaffected by their death. And the saint, either the Old Testament saint or the New Testament saint, has every assurance from God himself, that his loving care for them will continue not only in this life, but it will continue past this life, past the point of death. So those things are encouraging. One of the things that's important for us to remember is that the next life that is coming is much, much better than this life. And it's important for us to remember that and keep that in mind because that helps us persevere through whatever it is that God has given for us to endure today. And we see that in Philippians chapter 1. Paul is, is writing to the church there and he says, For me to live is Christ. So to live here is to have fellowship with Christ, to live under his lordship in your life, to serve him, to know him, to follow him and all of those things. But then Paul writes, but to die is gain. So the experience of knowing Christ in this life is a good experience. It's a rich, full experience. And every one of us have the joy of new life in Christ. The believer does. And so that's really, really encouraging. But compared to this life, the next life is gain. It's much better. It's much more substantial. So to possess all the benefits of death, being precious to God, being inseparable from Jesus, to be safely at home in heaven is immeasurably better than what we have here when you get in your car and you drive home. This is a wonderful place. It's wonderful to have fellowship with God, but this experience is nothing like the experience that is coming for the believer. So death removes the Christian from this world and it extricates the Christian from this mixed condition and it ushers the Christian soul permanently into the presence of God. And so the question arises, well, what about all of those people who are alive at the coming of Christ when Christ does return to this earth? We know that there will always be a remnant of believers throughout human history and that will continue until Christ's return. So what about those people who are alive at the return of Christ when he comes? The people who have not yet died in their saving faith, they are living out their saving faith when Christ comes. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at that same passage we were just at, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to see what happens for the one who is present in this life when Christ returns. And what we're going to find is that that person will witness visibly the resurrection of the dead. And then they themselves will be transformed. 1 Thess 4, verse 16, reading into verse 17. For the Lord himself, and this is Jesus, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So every single one of believers who are in Christ, every single believer from the church age, will, who has died in their faith, will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. So the the believers who are present in this at that time we'll see the dead rise first. And Paul writes using the word we in verse 17. What that tells us is that Paul's understanding, this was not a theological conviction, but Paul was living as if he and the rest of the believers were going to be present at the return of Christ. He writes, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So those who are alive, who are believers, those who are in Christ at the time of the return of Christ, when Christ comes to take the church to himself, they will witness the resurrection of the believers who have already died. They will witness the resurrection from the dead people coming out of their graves with new resurrection bodies. They will witness the the ascension of those people to be with Christ, to meet Christ in the air. They themselves will also be transformed as well. Notice the encouraging thing that the believer is to take from this. At the end of verse uh, 17, you have all the information you need. Verse 18 tells you how to think about this. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is where everything is heading for the believer. So there is a um, time in which the believer who is alive at at the return of Christ, they will bypass death. They will not actually experience physical death the way that everybody else will. But they themselves will have a physical transformation that is instantaneous. And so we need to turn to 1 Corinthians 15 to see how that works because Paul doesn't address that in great detail in the Thessalonians passage, but he does in his letter to the church in Corinth. We're going to look at verses 51 and 52 of 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul has known this church. He has a more long-standing relationship with this church than the church in Thessalonica. So he gives them more detail about this. His letter to them is is addressing several issues. And one of them is what takes place at the end of the life and what takes place at the end of this age. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. So there's that word sleep again. Not all of us are going to die. He says, but we will all be changed. So you have the resurrection from the dead of those who have died. And now he's going to express the details of what takes place for those who are alive at Christ's return. Starting in verse 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. So he says, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, where the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised and we will all be changed. So those who are alive and observing the resurrection of the dead, of the believers who have died, they themselves then will experience a transformation where their bodies instantaneously will be transferred and transformed from what we have today to what is suitable for eternity with Christ. And so that's really encouraging. So we want to see that, and and so we want to make sure we bear both of those things in mind, that the person who dies in Christ will be raised from the dead to a resurrection body and those who are alive at the return of Christ, they will receive a new resurrection body just like those who have died and been resurrected. So we're going to talk a little bit about resurrection itself here and we're going to see what takes place and this is the reintegration. If death is what separates um, and disintegrates the, the person, the inner man from his body, resurrection is what brings those two things together again we're going to address it and we're going to see it in verses 42 through 58 in the same chapter. It's a little earlier. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. So this body that dies is perishable and the one that's raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So you have, these, you have these things that are sown into us in this life. We have an, a perishable body. We have a, a dishonorable body. We have a weak body. We have a natural body. All of those things are changed to the opposite of that at the point of resurrection. He goes on to say in verse 45, um, So it is also written, the first Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. As is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. So you look at that, you see in verse 42, the idea of the imperishable body being given to the the believer. They're raised in glory in verse 43, they're raised in power, they're raised in spiritual body. All of these things are the things that are are given to the believer. And so when the Christian is raised from the dead, his body will be nothing like the one that died. And that's really, really encouraging. Regardless of what age you are when you die, whether you're young and healthy and you have an early death or you die in in extreme old age, um, the body you have in, in the resurrection condition is nothing like this body it's imperishable, it's full of glory, it's full of power, it is a a spiritual body. And so that's really encouraging to the believer. And so it's important for us to remember that this takes place, and this will take place in the life of both the ones who are dead in the ground and those who are are, um, present when uh, Christ returns. So that's really important for us to remember. Um, And we want to make two observations about these conditions and and there are observations that help us think rightly about ourselves today first if you're a believer in Christ you are not in the unmixed sinful condition that you were in prior to the time that God saved you you're different if you're a believer that has passed away and that can never be your condition again and that's encouraging everything moves left to right as you look at your pamphlet you don't go halfway into the middle and make a U-turn it doesn't work that way when God saves he saves permanently And the fact that you're still influenced by sin does not mean that you've slipped back into that unmixed condition. So if you're a believer and you fall on your face sometime this week, and uh, it's very important to remember that the work that God did to save you is still valid, it is still true, it is still has ongoing effect. And what that means is that you fell into sin, but God has given you the opportunity to repent. It doesn't mean that you're back in that unmixed condition. So it's important for us to remember that, but we need to pair that with the fact that we're not yet in the ultimate unmixed condition with Christ. So there is an unmixed condition that is coming, and we need to remember that that is coming, and that should promote within us a desire to live a holy life here so that we're ready for that life when it comes. But not yet being in that condition, in other words, being in this condition here, is as much a part of God's design for us as the design that we're going to be in that condition Eternally, So God wants us in this condition today so that we yearn for him and yearn to be with him. And it glorifies God when in your mixed condition you fight for holiness of life in this life. So it's a better condition than you had that you were in before, but it's not as good as you'll have one day. That's important for us to remember. And that's why it's important for the believers to remember two words that begin with P. There's your position and there's your practice remember your position in Christ because that informs your practice. Your position in Christ is secure if you're in Christ. And what that should promote within you is a a practice where you pursue holiness of life. And what we need to know, is, you can talk with anybody who's been walking with the Lord longer than you have, is that that is a progressive sanctification. It's encouraging to look back a few years ago, three or four or five, ten years earlier in your Christian life and to recognize that today your walk with the Lord is much more intimate much more sensitive, much more full and rich and satisfying than it was years before. Even though you were truly a believer then, it's just a much more sweet relationship. And just remember that sin is no longer in authority to you. It's no longer in authority over you. It will still appeal to you, but it is not your master. And believers have the ability to look sin in the eye and say, I don't have to engage with you. I am free to walk in newness of life in ways that I never was before. And all of that fight proves that you're in a regenerate condition. So the the two things you need to do to, to grow in your holiness and your sanctification is keep reading your Bible and keep spending time in God with prayer. And if that is an area of weakness in your life, grow that. Because that is the way that you bring God the most glory is by putting on display the work that he's done for your life.